Well, you may have not have noticed it, but we are all getting old. <laughs> the, current, the current Western democratic civilization, you think of Western Europe, you think of Canada, you think of the United States, that, that Western democratic culture is the oldest civilization the world has ever seen. And by that I mean that no empire or dynasty or culture prior to ours has had a population as old as ours. We are an old people, and we're just getting older. Uh, In Canada, the number of people over 65 surpassed the number of teenagers a few decades ago. In the 36 million people that make up Canada, roughly 7% are teenagers. 16% are over 65 In fact, 7.2% are over 75. So if you're sitting there thinking that the country is overrun with a bunch of young whippersnappers, it's not overrun. It's actually the retirees that are overrunning the country. And uh, the only age demographic that surpasses people over 70 right now is people in their 50s. So in 20 years, it's not going to get any better. It's just going to get older. And uh, there's all kinds of charts and books and theories about it. If you look online, you can find uh, all these different demographic things about the grain of America and uh, how people look. And of course, as, as we get older as a population, we think that we look like uh, these fresh, young, youngish sort of, uh, you know, people, kind of hip and with it. And, you know, but in actual fact, as we get older, we look more like these very... <laughs> very, very beige people, and uh, we, we think we're the former, but really we're the latter. You know, our first reaction to this realization is sort of instinctively negative. When we think about the aging of our population and the aging of the country, we think, who's going to do all the work that's required in the economy? Who's going to pay for the care that's going to be required for all of these retirees? Who's going to provide the services that we need, who's going to run the government, who's going to take control of this thing. I mean, have you seen kids these days? They're not really the brightest bulbs in the pack. As, you know, if, if only there was a better way to shade my eyes. <laughs> right? This, these are the people that will be running the country in a few years, okay? So as we age, naturally, we... We start to get worried a little bit, and we, it doesn't look at first like we're going to get very much help even from the Bible. As you're growing older, you could turn maybe to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and hear King Solomon read about getting old. This is a real pick-me-up. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Oh, there's a good start. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So you just get through a hard season in life and the, and the clouds come right back in. Or in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, that your arms and hands tremble and the strong men are bent, your legs and your back are bent and the, the grinders cease because they are so few, you can't chew anymore. The grinding ceases and those who look through windows are dimmed, your eyes are shaded and the doors on the street are shut and the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird because you, don't, you sleep so light now, right? There's, that bird starts up at four in the morning and you're awake. Right, and all the daughters of song are brought low. You know, it doesn't matter how loud they're singing, you can hardly hear them. 
And they're afraid also of what is high, because you're so shaky, so you don't stand anywhere that's even on the top step. And terrors are in your way, and the almond tree blossoms, that's the white hair blossoming on your head, and the grasshopper drags itself along, you used to sort of walk very sprightly and and sharply down the road, but the grasshopper now is dragging itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Wow, Solomon. He'd be the life of a retirement party, wouldn't he? Right? Right? And the very next paragraph in the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is ending, and the scribe writes, the preacher sought to find words of delight, (laughs) and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. Words of delight, I think he failed in that last paragraph. But the irony here is we read Ecclesiastes in this sort of pessimism of aging. The irony is, and the unexpected message from sort of grumpy old Solomon here as he writes this, is that even old age and his pessimism about old age, the irony is is that he's writing this in his old age, right? That it's age itself that is the source of his wisdom. That as he mentions in almost every chapter in Ecclesiastes, it's only because he tried and saw everything under the sun that he was able to uprightly write these words of truth. And so, sure, the body slows down, and you don't sleep as soundly, and the hair goes white, or it just goes, but... It's from the perspective of age that Solomon himself is able to write this book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs in order to guide the next generation with his wisdom. And so even an apparently pessimistic book like Ecclesiastes should actually encourage us. It should, the book itself serves as a living example of the biblical value that we should put on living a long and faithful life in the knowledge of God and in his wisdom the treasure that is a long life as a Christian. And the scripture gives us the purpose of age. It gives us the purpose of growing older. And so knowing the purpose of age in our church is crucial for our understanding of God's intention for discipleship in the body of Christ. As a church, we have to understand and treasure and value and know the purpose of growing older and know the purpose of age in the body of Christ. And that's exactly the value and the purpose that the Apostle Paul sees as he is writing to young pastors, Timothy and Titus. So as Paul in the New Testament writes to Titus in his letter, he intends to outline for him the structure and the function of a healthy church. And if you were to start in Titus chapter 1, he starts talking about the elders. He starts talking about the governance or the leadership, the elders of the church. And then in chapter 2, he shifts and he begins to talk about the congregation, the body of believers in the church. And his emphasis in chapter 2, which is where we're going to look today, his emphasis is on the value and the purpose of the old, of older men and older women who are able to teach younger men and younger women by instruction and by example. Let me just pray before we read Titus 2, 1 to 7. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we open it today, seeking your wisdom. We thank you that you have preserved it for us through your prophets and through your apostles and through your disciples. And so, Lord, I pray that as we we look at it today, it would would remind us, and and more than just remind us, it would uh, spur us on to disciple in the way that you intended your church to disciple. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus uh, 2, 1 to 7 is our text today, and it reads, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. 
And likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure and to be busy at home and to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and in everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness." So it is easy to be pessimistic about aging, but in the life of the church, it's really very important to have people who are godly and aged. And that's what Paul is saying here to his young pastor, Titus. He's saying, and Titus was uh, a a young man that Paul put uh, in charge, so to speak, or he sent him to the island of Crete to work with the church in Crete, and he was to set in order the things that were remain to be done in the church. And so he's now writing a letter to Titus as he's pastoring there in the churches in Crete, explaining to him how to set the body of Christ in order. And he's saying to young Titus, he's saying, as you look at your congregation, Titus, your instruction has to start with the older people. And those older people have to pass on by teaching an example the instruction that they have received from you and the experience of the life that they have lived. And there's a lot of churches today that are trying hard to be filled with young people. And that's all right, of course. We want young people in our churches. But some churches, and I actually know of one church that's actually an example fairly close to me, people that I know attend there or are trying to attend there, and they are focusing on young people and doing so at the explicit cost of excluding the old. Their set of programming is so finely and sharply tuned to younger people, even singles without kids. Like even having kids makes it difficult to work in some of their programming at that church. And they've structured it in such a a way that people in later seasons of life don't really feel welcome they are and don't really feel like they can participate in that church. And so if you were not under 30 and childless, it would be very hard to fellowship there. And I really wouldn't want to be a part of one of those churches. I think that it would be a very difficult place to be a pastor in. It'd be a very difficult place to guide and to shepherd. Because every church needs the wisdom and the life experience and the example of venerable, older Christians. Youth may indeed be the future, of the church, of our country, whatever. But what future will it be, or what future at all, if those youth do not have the elders to learn from, to learn to live and to walk properly in the present? There is no future. And so we need the white-haired heads, and you need the aged and the wise who have walked a long time with Jesus. They've walked through the valley of death without fearing evil, And they've walked with the congregation up to worship. And they have seen the clouds return right after a rain in their life. And we need the old there to instruct the young, to show them the path of righteousness, to show them the path of goodness, to show them the proper priorities and values. If we don't have that in the body of Christ, then we are sorely lacking. We need some people who can stand with the Apostle Paul and say, I fought the good fight and I've kept the faith. Because if you don't have those people in the body of Christ, if, if we don't have those people in the church, then who will do the teaching? It's the aged people in the congregation that provide its strength and its stability and its wisdom. Job 12, 12 says, Wisdom is with the aged, and with long life is understanding. Somebody old who has walked a long time in the path of righteousness is a treasure. 
They're a treasure of wisdom. They are a treasure of experience, and they are a treasure of understanding. They are a triumphant Christian who has fought the battle over and over and over again, and they have been victorious, who have experienced everything that the young are waiting to still experience and haven't yet. They're a great treasure to the church. Psalm 71 says, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and I still declare thy wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare thy strength to this generation and thy power to all who are to come. This is God's purpose for age. This is God's mandate for the old. To sing of the wondrous deeds, to tell the deeds, to strengthen the generation that is coming by their experience. And so I hope all the statistics are right. I hope our demographic is shifting older, and I hope that it shifts older in the church, because a church that's properly instructing and challenging their old is going to be a better church. It's going to be a richer church. But there's the key. The blessing of the old only comes with the obedience of the old. Older people in church do become a treasure, a tremendous blessing. They bring spiritual experience and spiritual strength and spiritual endurance and spiritual wisdom to all of us, but only if they walk in the way of righteousness and do these things that Paul is explaining to Timothy. The instruction of Titus. The instruction of Titus 2 is very important. There's no value of being old if you're not godly. There's no value in being old if you're not a model or an example. There's no value in being old if you cannot or will not teach and instruct the generation to come. And so the Apostle Paul lays down some characteristics to his protege, Titus, that he says are to be evident in the older people in a church. Verse 2 says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Older men, he says. And the Greek here is presbytes. And Paul uses that word in Philemon when he refers to himself as Paul the aged, Paul the presbytes. And we know that he was about 60 years old when he wrote that letter. Okay, so that's who we're talking about. Or Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, when the angel was explaining to him that he was going to have a son who would turn out to be John the Baptist, he was skeptical that he would bear a son because he said he was presbytes. He was aged. I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Presbytes. And so it seems to refer to an age where the usual time of fatherhood is over. So maybe the mid-50s or 60s or after. That was kind of the age of Paul and Zacharias. And so, teach the older men. These men here are called to righteous behavior and sound belief. And notice it's not automatic, right? The fact that Paul has to encourage Titus to teach this to the older men. Here's this young pastor, Titus, and Paul is saying, you need to take your older men aside, these 55, 60, 65-year-olds, and you need to teach them these things from sound doctrine. And so, the fact that Paul has to encourage Titus to do this indicates that some men and women are not inclined naturally to do this. Old people, this may come as a shock, but old people can be just as self-centered and self-gratifying and sinful as young people. There's no special righteousness that's bestowed on you just by getting older. You can be old and unrighteous. You can be old and unwise. That's not what Scripture wants you to be, but it's possible. Especially in our culture of treasuring retirement right? It seems like it wasn't very different in 76 AD. Paul had to encourage Titus to not assume that older men and women were going to set good examples and teach younger people that they needed to be taught and exhorted just as much. 
So just because you're 50 or 60 or 70 doesn't mean that you don't sin. It doesn't mean that you won't slack off in your spiritual responsibilities. If we want the blessing of an aged church, if we want the blessing of the strength and the faith of God passed on to the current generation, then the aged must walk the talk as much as we expect our younger people to. And now back in 1 Timothy 5, it says, take this to heart, it says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father and older women as mothers. And so I am not at all trying to rebuke older people sharply here today. I am not trying to, uh, you know, rebuke you in a harsh way, but perhaps gently encourage. I intend it kindly. And so I do appeal to our older congregation as mothers and as fathers. I appeal to you that we younger people and the younger people in the congregation need you. We need you to teach us. We need you to model for us the things that Paul writes to Titus here. We need to see what it means to have the sound faith and a righteous living and to, to grow old in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Back in Titus, to the men, Paul says, first, be temperate, worthy of respect and self-controlled. This is walking rightly. Temperate is literally not drunk, which is true. <laughs> Don't be drunk. Um, but metaphorically or, or, or literally, it means moderate or restrained, not flying off in anger or in passionate outbursts. And it, and it connects with worthy of respect. In Titus 1.6, Paul says that a mature man capable of leadership is above reproach. And this is how we are to be as older men, that we are moderate, that we're worthy of respect, that we're above reproach, that there's nothing in this man's behavior that would draw accusation or let anyone demean him. And self-controlled kind of speaks for itself. And all three of these point to a temperament that's expected of our older men and women, you will see, because Paul says likewise. So our older men and women have a certain temperament, they have a certain bearing, they have a certain composure that comes from their knowledge of God and walking rightly. But not just walking rightly and not just having the right behaviors and having the right temperament, but also in sound belief or faith or sound knowledge as well. Verse 1 is very important. All of this that Titus will teach is based on, in verse 1, on sound doctrine. And it should appear in mature Christians, sound doctrine makes itself known in mature Christians as sound faith and sound love and sound endurance. And the word sound means whole or healthy or firm. And that means their faith in God is whole and healthy and firm. It's unwavering. These are men and women who do not lose their confidence in God's intentions towards them. They do not lose their confidence in God's plan for them. They do not doubt God's sovereignty. They do not lose hope. They're sound because they've seen it in their life over and over and over again, and God has not failed them. And so they have testimony of the faithfulness of God, and so their faith is sound. Their love is sound. Their endurance is sound. And as their faith should endure, so should their love. One of the saddest things that I can think of is an old person who's bitter. Right? A bitter old person is one of the saddest things to see. But Paul says that the aged of the church are to be sound in love. In their long lives, they have learned to love even when love has not been returned to them. They have learned to love sacrificially. They have learned the things in life that it is good to love, 
As we've talked about treasuring Christ in the last two sermons, they've learned what is appropriate and good and healthy to love, and they've learned things that they should not love. So their love is sound. It's in the right place. It's firmly placed correctly. And their love is not jealous, and their love doesn't brag, and it's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It isn't provoked. It doesn't take into account wrong suffered, wrong, wrong suffered to it. It never rejoices in someone else's sin. It rejoices with the truth. This older man's, this older person's love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things, and it never fails. It's 1 Corinthians 13, if you didn't know where I was going. But that's the sound love that... Paul is exhorting Timothy to teach to his older congregation. The old are to compose themselves in a certain way, and they are through sound doctrine to have a sound faith, a faith that makes itself apparent in love and in endurance. And Paul started with the men. And so men of Lakeside, that's, that's what Paul is telling Timothy to teach, is what he's telling me to teach. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are those men? Who are those older men that are the treasure and the blessing of the church, that are living out those lives in that temperament and with that sound faith in an effort, in a way to teach the younger men. But then Paul, as he starts with the men, and he takes all of that and applies it to women as well, but he addresses older women specifically too. And he says, be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And the neat word here, it's actually a couple of neat words in the Greek here, but one of them is, is reverent, and it's an amazing word, and it's used only once, one time, in all of Scripture. Heroprepes. Heroprepes is a word that means that which is suited or befitting for consecration to God. That's what reverent means. So Paul is saying women should be reverent in the way that is befitting or suited for consecration to God. Only time they ever uses that word. Uses it for women. In other words, they're to be set apart. They are to be sanctified, like the priesthood was set apart and sanctified, like the implements of the temple were set aside and sanctified, like the offerings were sanctified and set aside. They are to be set aside as something suited for consecration to God. That 1 Timothy chapter 2, as Paul writes to Timothy in a similar vein, he says that these types of women are to draw attention to God and not to themselves, that they are the type of people that choose to do good works. And in contrast to that, they are not to be slanderers or gossips. Men are called to be self-controlled because men tend to sin and react in violence physically, and that's why Paul says about the elders that they're not to be prone to fighting and um, I think here Paul is acknowledging that women often restrict their violence to words. And so Paul warns older men, don't be prone to fighting in Titus 1.7. And he warns older women here, don't be gossips. Men, don't be violent with your actions. Women, don't be violent with your words. And Paul instructs us elsewhere, let your speech always be seasoned so that you know how to answer each person. And so Paul is giving instruction here through Titus to the older women of the church saying, how you speak and how you carry yourself and how you act is to be set apart for God. And that it's not to be tearing people down with words. And then he says, nor addicted to much wine, which is again kind of self-explanatory. For a man above it was temperance. For women here, not addicted to wine. Beer is not an alternative. Uh, let's not get too specific. But I mean, it's obvious, right? 
There is a certain composure. There is a certain lifestyle. There is a certain righteous walk that is expected of the older generation in the church to set an example for the younger. And then he says, but to teach what is good. The word teach here is very important in this chapter. If you go through this chapter, and I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head right now, but I think he says teach in verse 1. He says teach again here uh, in this verse. He says teach, I think, in verse 10. I think he says teach two or three more times in the chapter. I think like eight times Paul says to Titus that he has to teach. And here the women are to teach what is good. So just like the men, they're to live rightly and then to teach wisely. And so the picture here that is painted is clear for men and women of what Paul expects in a healthy church. He's exhorting Titus. Here is where you have to start, young Pastor Titus. Here is where you have to start in your congregation. Teaching sound doctrine. And from teaching sound doctrine, getting the older people in shape for righteous living and passing on godly behavior and knowledge. And verses 4 to 7 are the application. Verses 4 to 7 are the payoff for this church. It's the payoff of older people who have walked long and faithfully with Jesus in the body of Christ. The payoff to the church is the treasure of wise old Christians. It says, then they can urge the younger women and further down similarly encourage the younger men. God intends discipleship to take place in his church by faithful gray hairs joining together with young men and young women to instruct them. He finishes off saying, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. And so I look out over the congregation and I see a lot of young families. And I see a lot of kids. And I see a lot of newly married or soon to be married. And that's great. Those families are literally the future of the church. But they are only the future if they learn from those who have come before. We only have a church if we learn from those faithful Christians that have gone before us. And Paul says to Timothy, his other young protege, he said, What you have learned from me in the presence of many, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are the faithful men and women who will teach, who will be taught? Because as I look out, I also see a lot of gray hair. I see a lot of no hair. And we need the gray hairs and the no hairs to be willing to walk rightly and to teach and be taught. The gray hair that we have in our congregation is a powerful source in this church. We need you. Moses was 80 when God called him to lead Israel. He was 80 years old when he was called. And you'll remember that Moses gave a whole bunch of excuses to God as to why he couldn't lead the people of Israel. But you know what one of his excuses wasn't? I'm too old. He never complained that he was too old. That wasn't one of his excuses. We need godly mothers and fathers. We need godly grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. John Wesley traveled 250,000 miles by horseback or on foot to preach. He preached 40,000 sermons. He produced 400 books and he knew 10 languages. And at 83, he was annoyed that he couldn't write for more than 15 hours without hurting his eyes. At 86, he was ashamed that he couldn't preach more than twice a day. And he admitted that since his 86th birthday, that it was difficult, and he had an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 a.m. What a terrible decline in character in that guy, eh? The nerve. 
All of this to say, as we move forward in this season of discipleship that we're entering, we're going through this series on discipleship and we're drawing ourselves along as a congregation in this idea of treasuring Christ and discipleship and making disciples. We need our older people to rise up. We need the aged of the congregation, the venerable Christians to rise up, to demonstrate by their lives that to be a disciple is to set our affection on and to spend a lifetime nurturing and increasing affection for Jesus Christ. We need to see that you treasure Christ above everything else. And then to actively take part in disciple-making, that by instruction and by example, that our people would purposefully advance the spiritual maturity of those younger than them. And I keep mentioning this season of discipleship that we're getting into, and I'm, I'm sort of easing us into it as a church, because as I said at the start, I, I don't have any intention of this just being a 10-week sort of flash in the pan that we do a whole bunch of work and see some videos and go through the list and then it all dies out. What I intend is that it breathes back into the church the breath of discipleship, that it it creates this culture of the older teaching the younger and the younger sitting at the feet of and in the company of the older to learn. That we have to get into our DNA this idea of discipleship. And so it's going to start and get rooted in the grassroots. It has to become a part of our culture for young and old, single and married, teen and grandparent. But it's going to start with our older people setting the example and taking the younger under, our, under their wing. We need our faithful, sound, steady old Christians being willing to disciple the younger. And so over the com- coming weeks, just so you know what's going on, we're forming these smaller discipleship groups of older and younger men discipling men and older and younger women discipling women. And they'll just be groups of three or four, not big groups. And as it grows, this movement grows, you'll be invited or you'll be given an opportunity to join a group for discipleship. And there'll be opportunities as well to join a more traditional small group as well if you want to do that. But as we go into this season, I really want to encourage you, especially you gray hairs out there today, to consider how you can become an active part of this discipleship. To say, yeah, I can think of a couple of people that I'd like to take under my wing. I can think of a couple of guys who I would love to spend some months with and just guide them along in the faith. And in our groups of three or four, then we'll begin this process of older men raising up younger and older women raising up younger. And the purpose and the blessing of growing old with Jesus will be realized in the next generation of faithful Christians that fill the ranks here at Lakeside. It's only going to happen as we intentionally disciple. And old people, I'm putting it on you. You have to lead the charge. Be there for us. We need you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this reality. And we kind of laugh at getting older and slowing down. And, but Lord, you have, you have so much intended for what we think of as our twilight years. There is so much treasure in the wisdom and the experience of a life lived fully for you even of the stumbles and of the failures of which we learned from King David, all of the experience of our older people and all of the wisdom and all of the learning that they've done is so needed by the next generation, by the Gen Xers and the millennials. And Lord, we, I just pray. I pray that as a church that we would take seriously our responsibility, that we wouldn't get to a certain age and just figure, well, we can coast because all the young people are going to do it now. You know, they're going to take care of the ministries. They're going to take care of the work. They're going to do it. Father, we have a role as we grow older 
to take the treasure of the wisdom and the treasure of our life spent with you and share it with those that are younger. And in so doing, see your church strengthened. And so I pray that that would be true here at Lakeside. In Jesus' name, amen.